Brothers and sisters, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let us now rise to receive the words of greeting from our God. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits up before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let us sing a response to these words of greeting from Psalm 100, distances 1 and 3. Let us now call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we give thanks to you. Within your house, we proclaim your joy because your congregation is your house. We can voice, raise our voices and confess that you alone are God. Father, what a blessing it is to know you and to belong to you and to know that you are a loving Father, an almighty God. Father, you govern all things. You direct all things. All the lands and the peoples of the earth, they are before you as dust. You direct the hearts of all who rule and govern as you want. And we thank you that we know what you want, that you have revealed to us your plan, that is, to make all things new, to do away with all that we have broken, to restore your kingship on a glorified earth. And Father, you are taking us and our children along to that future. What a blessing. What a gift. We know we don't deserve it. Thank you, Father, that you have brought us together here this afternoon. We pray for your spirit to guide us, to direct us, 
And that, Father, your word also is a word that lives in us, that we may understand it. So easily also our thoughts can be drawn away to other things, give that we are able to pay attention. And, Father, so give that through what we hear we are confirmed in a Catholic and undoubted Christian faith, that we, with body and soul, belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear us in his name. Amen. We will read several passages from Paul's letter to the Colossians. The text for this afternoon is taken from chapter 3, but we'll read first from chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. One of the things that stands out in the letter of Paul to the Colossians is that Christ has all supremacy, that he is the first and the foremost in everything. You also notice that in what we read. Chapter 1, verse 15, he, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then we continue in chapter 2, verse 6. We read through verse 10. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. And then we go on in chapter 3. We read 1 through 15. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Thus far the reading from God's word. Let us now sing Psalm 22, distances 8 and 9.
Please take your books of praise again. I'd like to read from the Catechism, Lord's Day 12. So I'd like to read Lord's Day 12, the Heidelberg Catechism. And this Lord's Day deals with one of the names or titles of our Savior. And the reason why I like to read this is that this Lord's Day connects our title, Christian, to the title of Christ. So first we look at the question, why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal King who governs us by his word and spirit, who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. And then the next question, why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing, so that I may, as prophet confess his name, as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Thus far the Catechism. Let's turn now to the letter of Paul to the Colossians again. The sermon will focus on verse 3 of chapter 3, but we also pay attention from out of verse 3 to the verses that surround it. So I'll read 1 through 4 again, but our focus will be verse 3. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Love the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I proclaim to you God's word this afternoon under this theme, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. It is clear from the beginning of chapter 3 that Christ is central in what Paul is writing here. You notice within four verses, the title Christ is mentioned four times, 
but also his work is mentioned, his glory is mentioned, his return is mentioned. It is all about Jesus Christ. In fact, you can say that the whole letter of Paul to the Colossians wants to make that point. How important Jesus Christ is, his supremacy, that he is first in everything. And that only in him and in him alone is what we need for life, for salvation, and so on. The reason uh, Paul does this is the fact that the churches or the believers there were faced with false teachers. And these false teachers, they did not reject Jesus Christ out hand, but they said, it's wonderful that you know Jesus Christ and that you believe in Jesus Christ, but, you know, it's not quite complete. There's something that you have to add to this in order to make it complete. Sure, Christ is important, is wonderful, but there is more needed. And, of course, they had the key to that extra that gives the fullness their wisdom, their philosophy. So it's dangerous when people say that they have the key to really understanding what the Bible really means or what it means to have salvation. It also gives control. It gives power. In addition to saying that what they had in Christ was not enough, but they had to add something to it in their teaching, these teachers also propagated some kind of an external religion, some formalism that you did the things you were expected to do and you kept these rituals, and some of them were connected to the Old Testament. And at the same time, they allowed for a sinful way of living. That's why Paul in chapter 3 also says you have to get rid of these things. You see, doctrine and life always go together. Also in a negative sense. A wrong doctrine can also lead to wrong way of living. And that was happening here. So Paul is uh, dealing with this. He wants to encourage the congregation there, the believers there. So what does he do? Well, he focuses this letter on the main point. And the main point is, who is Christ? If these false teachers say that you may have him, but you need something more, what kind of understanding do they have of Christ? What is your understanding of who Christ is and what you have and who you are in him? And that's what this letter is about, who Christ is, and what we have and who we are in him. And brothers and sisters, that makes this letter so timely. Because those are questions that we all need to deal with and think about. Who is Christ in your life? Is he indeed the one who does it all? Or do you think you have to add something to it? And do you understand who you are in him? The confession as to who Christ is has far-reaching consequences also for understanding who we are. And that again has far-reaching consequences how we live. That's why also I read Lord's Day 12, where the Catechism brings a close connection between Christ and us Christians. Because 
your confession of Christ also has impact on who you are, how you live, and what you do. Now, in Colossians 3, verse 3, our text, Paul puts it this way. He says, your lives are hidden with Christ in God. That's how he describes the relationship between the believers and Christ. Your lives are hidden with Christ in God. Somewhat, perhaps somewhat unusual way of describing the relationship between Christ and us. But notice that in our text, not only is it about the relationship between Christ and us, that we are hidden with him, but also our relation through Christ with the Father, with God. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. So you have three components here. It's we, the believers, it is Christ, and it is God. And Christ is the mediator. He stands between God and us, and through Christ we are reconciled to God. We are restored and are moved from the kingdom of darkness, is chapter 1 of Colossians, into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves. That is why, if you take something away from Jesus Christ, that link between God and us is gone. And you lose your salvation, and that's why Paul... So Adam and here, he says, your lives are hidden with Christ in God. That word hidden is an interesting word here. Uh, it can mean that something cannot be seen. If you think of a game that our children love to play, hide and seek. Well, it works if you are hiding somewhere where the other one cannot see you. And the better you have a hiding spot, the better it works. So hiding means something cannot be seen. It can also be in this way that you put on a costume. Dress up. You put on a costume of Winnie the Pooh. And suddenly you cannot be seen anymore, but you're hidden within that costume, within what surrounds you. Think of the mascots, sports games, sports teams have them. So that is the element of hidden. Hidden can also mean being sheltered. Then also it has the element of you go away from somewhere, but it is in order to protect yourself. If you are in the path of Hurricane Irma... You want to hide. You don't want to expose yourself to the power of the wind and the rain and so on. You want to have a place where you can hide. So you have two elements there. Something cannot be seen. And something gives you shelter. Well, both elements are true here when it says you are hidden with Christ in God. There's something there that... You become invisible or is invisible. There's also an element there of safety, of protection. I'd like to work that out. The expression, hidden with Christ, brothers and sisters, describes our relationship with Christ or you may call it the union with Christ, our unity with Christ. 
More often in the New Testament, you read expressions like in Christ or with Christ. Paul speaks about it in the letter to Ephesians, Philippians, that in Christ we have died, with Christ we have been raised. And those prepositions in and with, they also describe the close connection that what he did, really we did. Because we are with him, we're in him. Here it has the term hidden with. And, and if you take again that example of a costume, then, then think of it as being covered all around with Jesus Christ. As, as a baby is wrapped into a blanket and almost hidden in a blanket. So we are hidden with Christ. He is totally around us. He is in us. We are in him, the Bible says. It's a wonderful reality that we are hidden with Christ. We're totally surrounded by him. Now there is something about this that cannot be seen. The results can be seen. The fact that we have this close connection with Jesus Christ, it shows in how we live and how we speak and what we do. But yet, the fact that we are in him, well, no doctor can do a test and say, yes, this baby is in Christ. No blood test, no x-ray will show that. No ultrasound. You need faith to see this, to know this. Faith in the promises of God. Faith in the promise that God says, you are with Christ, hidden with him. Although, thank God, he gives us a visible sign to show this, to confirm this, baptism. So that's the first element here, that we are completely in Christ, we are surrounded by him. We are clothed with him. And notice that in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul uses that, that, that element of clothing also more in, in laying off the clothes that you shouldn't wear anymore and putting on what you should wear. And that is Christ. Well, we are hidden with him. But then, with Christ, we are hidden in God. That's remarkable too. That's beautiful. You know that in, for example, the gospel according to John, our Lord Jesus often spoke about his relationship with the Father. I and the Father are one. He is in me and I, in, I am in him. And, and typically that is in John a description of the obedience of the Son to the Father, that he does exactly what the Father tells him to do. He obeys him in everything. And so they are one. Unity is the unity of obedience to the Father. But then the Lord Jesus also says, when you are one with me, then also you share in what I have, and that is that I am one with the Father. Because I obeyed the Father, I am in Him. But since you are hidden in me, you're in God too. You are now through me connected 
to God. You belong to him. Somewhere in John, the Lord says that if you follow me, then I'll bring you to the Father and we will make our dwelling in you. So through Christ, we are in God. That's a miracle. It's so completely amazing how we as sinful human beings can be in God. Yes, because in ourselves it was not possible. In ourselves, if we would present ourselves to God and say, here we are. What will happen? Well, we are subject to condemnation. We are children of wrath. We conceived and born in sin. So if we on ourselves come to God and say, here I am, then His holiness would consume us because we are sinners. But now, and that is the gospel, now that I'm hidden with Christ... When I come to, Christ, to the Father, when I come to God, who does the Father see? When you are hidden with Christ, that means clothed with Him, surrounded with Him. And then you go to the Father. Who does the Father see? Christ. So he looks upon us in Jesus Christ. And that's what we speak about when we talk about being sanctified in Jesus Christ. Although we are conceived and born in sin, we are sanctified in Jesus Christ. And as members of the church, then also ought to be baptized. And because of Christ... He says, you're mine. And I will give you everything that you need. I will provide you with all good, avert all evil, and turn it to your benefit. Because of Jesus Christ, hidden with Christ, I can come and have fellowship with God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the Holy Spirit who promises that he will unite us with Christ. And in that way, we are adopted as children of God. The false teachers said, Christ is not enough. You need more. We have to give you something. We have to teach you something. And the Spirit says through Paul, that's empty deceit. It's nonsense. You have everything in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ and in Him, hidden with Him, you are in God. What more do you want? That is life. That is everything. Yes, brothers and sisters, what a beautiful way of speaking about what we have in Jesus Christ. Our union with Him, that He surrounds us. He envelops us. And so we are adopted as children of God. How secure. Living in a frail and broken world. That we can hide with Christ in God. The most powerful throne there is. No matter what happens in life. 
safe, no matter what age you are, no matter the circumstances, with Christ in God. But how do I know that? It's wonderful to hear that. How do I know that that is true for me, for my children, for my grandchildren? By faith in the promises of God. By faith in his covenant promises. What he said to Abraham, I will establish it with you and your children after you. And that means that on the basis of that word, we may know that we and our children are hidden with Christ in God. And to help us understand that he has given us the sacrament of baptism. So as certainly as you will see this afternoon, the water come on the head of little Blake. So certain it is that you are hidden with Christ in God. That your children are hidden with Christ in God. It's a deep comfort. The comfort also when we deal with sickness or with struggles or with hardship, grief, because this life indeed is frail, it is temporary, it's broken. But this being hidden with Christ in God is something that no rust, no moth, no thief can change. It is secure because Christ is at the right hand of God. So it is a deep comfort. It's also an urgent call. An urgent call to parents to teach their children exactly this. To remind them that they're not in some kind of a neutral state and it doesn't matter what they do till they have professed their faith. No, from the very moment of their conception, they are covered by Jesus Christ. And now you parents, you have the duty to instruct your children in that doctrine. And to have them also then instructed therein. And to help them put that into practice in their daily lives. Because as Paul shows in these verses, that wonderful reality, that gift of grace in Jesus Christ, it has far-reaching consequences. Although it is invisible in that nobody can take a test and show that you are indeed in Christ. It is a matter of faith. But what is invisible becomes visible in how we live. And that is why in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3, Paul brings that out. And he says, if you don't have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth earth. What does that mean? Well, Paul here is working with that being one with Christ, being hidden in him. You have died with him. You have been raised with him. You have a new life. You have a new identity. You have a new goal because he is your life. But where is he? He's with the father above, out of the reach of corruption, of decay, sin, 
And he's there to secure our redemption before the Father. He continually intercedes for us. He protects us in the redemption that we have received in him. So what do you want to do? Seek him. Honor him. Serve him. And that is what Paul here means with that you seek the things that are above. That means you seek Christ in everything that you do. You want to please him. You want to serve him. And Paul works it out in chapter 3 in a very down-to-earth way. How you speak, in your relationships, in your work, how you control your anger, you name it. But this down-to-earth life is governed by him who is above because you are in him. You are hidden with him. And so your life every day receives its strength from heaven. From Christ. And it is for Him. Again, I think here what we read in Lord's Day 12. We first asked the question, who is Christ? His calling to save. And that He still is doing that today. As our priest, as our prophet, as our king. He secures our redemption. But now I share in His anointing because He does it for me. And I have it in Him And so the Spirit who lives in Christ lives in us, and He promises to work that in us. And as a result, I now learn to speak in a way that pleases God. Whatever I say is what He wants me to say as a prophet. And I know that I have to dedicate my life to Him and to be a living sacrifice to God. And I know that now I can fight against sin and the devil in this life. That's the calling. Because we are with Christ hidden in God. And as parents, you have the wonderful task to teach your children that they cannot but do this. Because Christ made you his own. Yes, our lives are hidden in Christ. It may be unknown to the world, but one day it will become crystal clear. It's beautiful that after first mentioning our resurrection in Christ and our focus on Him because we are hidden with Christ in God, then Paul ends this section with looking forward, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Isn't that a beautiful way of speaking about Christ? Christ is your life. That means everything. He's everything. It's my life, your life. Now when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, the union with Christ is not just for this today. It keeps on going. In fact, Christ has a very specific goal. Why was he anointed to be our prophet, priest, and king. Because Father says, this is the goal that I want to reach, that is when I will dwell on this earth with my people in all perfection and glory and so on. And you see, Christ is working towards that. And he is taking us and our children along to that future. To present us before the Father in a glorified world. 
And the Spirit says, now that's what I do. Because I will make sure that I can present you without spot and wrinkle among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too, not because of anything that you have done, but because of being hidden with Christ in God. His future is our future. His life is our life. Yes, in the book of life, you have engraved me. You have upheld me. Foes could not enslave me. So that I, in the light of life you gave me, may walk before you now. Amen. Let's sing Psalm 56, stanzas 4 and 5. God's word comes to us 
in the work of the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His promises are the promises of the three persons, that we may respond to that, and also in confessing our faith with the church of all ages and places, as we sing together the Apostles' Creed, Hymn 1. Mitchell and Hannah DeWitt have presented their son, Blake, here to be baptized in the promises that we just confessed, the promises of the three persons in one God. And let's now read down first the form for the baptism of infants, page 597. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of holy baptism is summarized as follows. First, we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. And this is what the immersion in or sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls, so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God, and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Second, baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. We are therefore baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that he establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. 
He adopts us for his children and heirs and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins and unites us with him in his death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by this sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Third, since every covenant contains two parts, a promise and an obligation, we are through baptism called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust Him, to love Him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. We must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, for baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. Although our children do not understand all this, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism. Just as they share without the knowledge in the condemnation of Adam, so are they without the knowledge received into grace in Christ. For the Lord spoke to Abraham, the father of all believers, and thus also speaks to us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Peter also testifies to this when he says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And therefore in the old dispensation, God commanded that infants be circumcised. The circumcision was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. Christ also took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In the new dispensation, baptism has replaced circumcision, and therefore infants must be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. And as they grow up, their parents have the duty to instruct them in these things. In order that we may now administer this holy sacrament of God to his glory for our comfort and to the upbuilding of the congregation, let us call upon his holy name. Almighty eternal God, in your righteous judgment, you punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with a flood, but in your great mercy saved and protected the believer Noah and his family. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground, by which baptism was signified. We therefore pray that you, in your infinite mercy, will graciously look upon this your child, and incorporate him by your Holy Spirit into your Son, Jesus Christ, so that he may be buried with him by baptism into death and raised with him to walk in newness of life. 
We pray that he, following him day by day, may joyfully bear his cross and cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, ardent love. Grant that he, comforted in you, may leave this life, which is no more than a constant death, and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ, your Son. All this we ask through him, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Could I ask the parents to rise, please? Beloved in Christ the Lord, you have heard that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord our God to seal to us and our children his covenant. We must therefore use this sacrament for that purpose and not out of custom or superstition. That it may be clear then that you desire baptism for the right purpose. You are to answer sincerely the following questions. First, do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin, and therefore subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, are sanctified in Christ. And thus, as members of his church, ought to be baptized. Second, do you confess that the doctrine of the Old and New Testament, summarized in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church, is a true and complete doctrine of salvation? Third, do you promise as father and as mother to instruct your child in this doctrine as soon as he is able to understand and to have him instructed therein to the utmost of your power. What is your answer, Brother Mitchell DeWitt? Sister Hannah DeWitt. Brothers and sisters, after the administration of holy baptism, we will sing from Psalm 100, the stanzas 2 and 4. Blake, Peter, DeWitt, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Let us pray. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. You have received us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten Son, and so adopted us to be your children. You sealed and confirmed this to us by holy baptism. We pray, through your beloved Son, that you will always govern this child by your Holy Spirit, that he may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness and may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that he thus may acknowledge your fatherly goodness and mercy, which you have shown to him and to us all. May he live in all righteousness under our only teacher, king and high priest, Jesus Christ, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. May he forever praise and magnify you and your son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one, only, true God. Father, amazing is your grace that you are willing to be our Father and that we know that we are hidden with Christ in you. Father, it's not something that we deserve. It is just your sovereign good pleasure, your electing love. And therefore, we can only give thanks and praise to you. We also pray, Father, that what we have heard and what we have seen may function in our lives, that more and more we seek the things that are above Jesus Christ as our Lord and King. And that we may look forward to the day when in glory we with him will stand before your throne, cleansed, perfected, glorified, as your whole congregation. Thank you, Father, that you give us strength through your word, that you comfort us, that you direct us. Help us then also to take this with us and to work it out in our daily lives in a way that glorifies you. Father, we thank you for knowing that our strength in life and our Joy in life is to belong to you. That is also a comfort when we deal with sickness, when we deal with health concerns, when we deal with grief, when we deal with brokenness. Father, you know the needs of each and every one of us. You know our griefs, you know our tears, you know our sorrows. You know our struggles, and we thank you that we may lay them before you in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this afternoon in particular for our brother, Bert Ekema. He is in the hospital. He's waiting for a bypass surgery, and we pray, Father, that it indeed may happen this week, and that when it does happen, you would guide the hands of the doctors, that it may be helpful to our brother, that he would also protect his life and that he may be spared. Father, you know his needs and we ask that you would 
give to him and his wife and their children, their family, what they need. And Father, so give that each and every one of us knows that each day is a gift from your hand and that we are on the way to the day when all that is broken, all that is painful is taken away. Father, we, we long for that day and we look forward to that. Father, we live also in a time of the year when in many ways you show also your power, your, your greatness, your majesty. We think of the storms and the hurricanes that have happened, the, the earthquakes. And Father, we think of all the loss of property and the devastation that was caused also by this latest hurricane, the loss of life. And Father, we know also that many are still in the path of this hurricane and we ask that you would spare lives and protect those who seek shelter and all those who are in the storm. Father, give that also through this the world realizes that you are God and that only in Jesus Christ is escape and true safety. And give then also that that message of your power in Jesus Christ may resonate and resound throughout this world. Father, we pray to be with us this week. We thank you that we had the opportunity today twice to come together. What a privilege that we can do this in freedom. And Father, we pray, guide us also in the week that is now coming and give us what we need each day again that we may expect everything from your hand alone. Hear us, we pray, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.